Well, good morning, everyone. I'm John Schmidt. I'm the senior pastor here at Centerpoint Fellowship. I want to welcome all the folks who are worshiping with us via video at Pike Road, Cloverdale, Wetumpka, and elsewhere online. Um, today, we're going to kind of wrap up our series on Nehemiah, uh, which is, and we're talking about faith in action and keeping the faith inside your bulletin. You'll find an outline entitled that. And if you need a pen to write with, please raise your hand. Uh, but I want to begin by going back to a point that we made on our first installment on this series because it applies to the situation that's happened in Paris. If you were watching television or reading the Internet here over the last 24 or 36 hours, um, like me, you've been horrified at all the events that transpired uh, Friday evening in, in Paris and uh, the terrorist attacks on people uh, by people uh, who were... Uh, part of ISIS, or ISIS has claimed responsibility for this, and so people were literally shouting in Arabic, Arabic phrases about to God be the glory, so people were uh, talking about these things as if they were righteous acts, uh, acts of heinous murder, mass murder. And so today, I thought it'd be important to review a point from Nehemiah, who had his faith in action. This is not in your outline, but if you grab a pen, you can take some notes, and I just wrote out some scripture references here. These will appear later on our website, and other things as well, because I want us to know how to pray for Paris. I put, I started praying for Paris Friday night. I've been praying yesterday, and uh, and I posted on uh, Facebook to do that, and I've had people write me back, well, how do I pray for Paris? What do I say? And so I want to give you four things as we start off this morning, and this is just reviewing the part that Nehemiah prayed uh, for God's direction. When he came on a crisis, he was aware that there needed to be a, a wall we built in Jerusalem. The first thing he did was pray, and praying is doing something. And so today I want to talk with you about that, and then we're going to stop and pray for this situation right now. But here are four things that you and I can pray for, and they're terribly important. First of all, you and I can pray for leaders, not just our leaders, but the leaders in France, the leaders in uh, the rest of Europe, the leaders in Russia, everywhere, uh, all of the world's leaders. Uh, this is from 1 Timothy 2, where Paul wrote to Timothy. He said, Timothy, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them, intercede on their behalf, give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and understand the truth. And when Paul was telling Timothy was, he was saying, you need to pray for leaders, kings, people in authority so that they can do their jobs. The job of the government is to restrain evil and to provide for the common defense to ensure domestic tranquility. These are phrases that are at the heart of our governmental system. Well, then we need to be praying for our president, for our congressmen. We need to also be praying for, and senators, we need to be praying for uh, our State Department, our military, and the same thing for their counterparts all over the world, not only in Paris, but all around the world. These are terribly important. And by the way, the reason I'm putting a scripture next to each one of these is in 1 John 5, it says this, if we, we will know, we can be confident that God hears us when we ask for things according to his will. Well, how would we know if we're asking for things according to his will? Well, if the Bible tells us to pray for these things, then we're asking according to his will. So we know that we have what we asked of him. So if we want God to hear our prayers as we're praying for situations like this, this could be not just Paris, but any time of trouble. Well, how do we pray for that? Well, we pray for our leaders, that they'll do their jobs, and God will give them courage to do their jobs, conviction to do their jobs, and surround them with good counsel. If you think those are good ideas, would you say amen? amen. Yeah. And then we can have live lives and quietness and dignity and peace. This is going to take some work because these people are smart and they're organized and they're bent on evil. And that brings us to praying for them. You and I are going to have to pray for our enemies. Well, where would you get such an idea, John? Well, Jesus. 
he said to pray for our enemies. This is from Matthew 5. You've heard the law says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And in that way, you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight both to the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you're kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you're to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. That's Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount talking to his disciples who were supposed to pass on all the things they learned from him to their disciples. And they have down through the ages, and now it's our turn to live this out. We need to pray for ISIS. We need to pray for the terrorists. What do we pray for? Well, the same thing that we talked about in 1 Timothy 2, that all men might be saved and come to understand the truth. They do not understand the truth. They've been taught that somehow heinous acts of murder and terrorism are things that honor God. It's that twisted and that warped. The Apostle Paul said when he was dragging people out to be tortured because of their faith in Christ, he said he acted in ignorance and unbelief. Well, so are these people. So what would we pray for ISIS? That they would come to an understanding of Christ, that God would thwart their evil plans, that God would allow our government to restrain them and allow Christians to step up and proclaim the good news to them, that they would hear the gospel and change. Now, this is something we're going to have to check our attitudes on. And that's why it's so important to pray Scripture and pray in accordance to God's will. Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the whole world, including the sins of the people in ISIS. We've got to let that sink in. But it's important to pray for them. It's also important to pray for courage. Psalm 46, verses 1 and 2. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in time of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. God is our protector. God is our strength. He's an ever-present help in time of trouble. If that helps you this morning, would you say amen? Yeah, he's always with us. He loves us. He watches over us. And we need to remember this, and we need to pray for courage. This is not the time. What terrorists want is they want to inspire terror. They want us to shrink back and to allow them to dictate the terms of whatever it is they're demanding because of terror and fear. And that's why you see world leaders step up and saying, we will not be afraid. Well, we will not be afraid. But our hope isn't just in our leaders. Our hope is in God himself. And we pray for courage. For ourselves and for, especially for the believers in France right now. Do you understand what an incredible opportunities the Christian men and women in France have right now? To be people who pray, people who show love in a time of hate, people who show courage in a time of fear. Well, where will they get that? From God's word, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And you and I, as their brothers and sisters in Christ, can pray for them. We can pray for each other when we go through hard times. Fourthly, you and I can pray for protection. There are evil people in the world, bent on evil. There is a devil, and he comes to steal and kill and destroy. He inspires people to do horrible things. And worst of all, in the name of God. And we need to pray for protection. That's why we pray for wisdom for our leaders. Their job is to restrain evil. You can write Romans 13 in the margin too. The first few verses there talks about it. That's their job, to restrain evil in this world. And God has given them that position. But we pray for protection. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. 
He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he, watches over Israel. he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you uh, from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going both now and forevermore. And we lift up these psalms and we pray these things and say, Lord, watch over us. The great news is we worship a God who never sleeps or slumbers. We fall asleep in exhaustion and there's just we can't stay awake. But the Lord isn't like that. He never sleeps, he never slumbers, and he watches over us all the time. If that gives you peace and that gives you hope, would you say amen? amen. Well, then why wouldn't we pray it? Of course we will. We'll pray for protection, God's protection, so we can share the gospel and carry out the work that he's given us to do. We're going to pray for courage that we will do so in the face of horrible attacks and wicked things. We're going to pray for our enemies, that God will soften their hearts and change them, and that by some means, somehow, they will be saved and transformed from enemies into brothers and sisters in Christ. And then finally, we pray for our leaders, that they will do their jobs and do them well, and that God will give them wisdom and courage and determination to get it done so that we can carry out the work God has given us in this world. So I'm going to stop right now, and I want to pray about these things before we get any further. Nehemiah stopped. That was the first thing he did. I'll tell you what he did after all the challenge, at the end of the challenge. I want to tell you what he, but I want to remind you now what he did at the beginning, and we're going to do it right now because we need to do this. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, when we uh, watch television Friday night or have been on the Internet and we've seen the horrible reports of murder on a massive scale in Paris by people who shouted out in Arabic that they were doing this to glorify you. Lord, they are misguided and wicked and evil. And, oh God, we pray for four things in light of these Paris attacks. Father, we know that you'll hear us because we're praying them right out of Scripture itself. Paul told Timothy we were supposed to pray for kings and all those who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives and carry out the work that you have given us. And so right now I pray for our president, Barack Obama, that you would give him wisdom and direction, how he can help. And not only him, but I pray for the leaders all around the world, for the president and prime minister of France, for um, the State Department here and that would coordinate with state departments elsewhere, Israel, all the countries of Europe, Russia. Lord, we need to work together on these things. And, oh God, I pray that they will coordinate and that they will do whatever is necessary to stop such evil attacks from occurring. Give them wisdom, cooperation, and determination to stop such things. Father, we also pray for the people of ISIS, for the leaders and the foot soldiers in this horrible campaign of terror. Oh God, I pray that you would make yourself known to them that they would come across Christians, they would meet people, and you would speak to them, Lord, through the lives of the folks they meet, that they would hear the good news and they would repent. Oh God, I pray that they would turn from their wicked ways. They are seriously misguided, and they are believing lies, and they are doing terrible things in a way that they believe is honoring you. And, oh, God, we pray that you will bring them to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. 
And Father, we pray for courage for ourselves. You are our refuge. You are our strength. You are an ever-present help in time of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Oh God, give us courage so we can face the future unafraid. And finally, Father, we pray for your protection. Lord, you do not sleep. You do not slumber. You are the one who says you will watch over us. And so, God, we're asking that you would bless our leaders. You would bless the people who are in position to protect us. And, God, we ask that you would show us how we can be bold and courageous and trust in your protection so we won't give in to fear or worry. We thank you, Lord, that we can pray these things. We are confident that you hear them. We've prayed according to your word, so we know we're praying according to your will. And we pray these things in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. And again, I'm going to post this on Facebook and on our website, and we'll tie this all together here. But I just wanted to go back and remind us, this is exactly was one of the points we made in our first installment in Nehemiah. This is what he did. When he found out the wall was torn down around Jerusalem, and his people were just living a shadow of the life that God had intended for them. He said, God, you promised to bring us back after the exile was over. Now my people can't even live here. And he was so distraught, he fasted and prayed for many days. He prayed that God would show him what to do. And then God showed him what to do, and he got busy. He went there and spearheaded an effort to get the wall rebuilt so the people could restore their worship, restore their culture, and become the people God wanted them to be. And if you, have, if you missed the few first few installments in this series, that was one of the main points that he prayed. Oh God, show me what to do and grant me favor and grant me protection. Prayed for all these things. Well, today we're jumping in on the other end of the story when the wall gets finished. So this is from Nehemiah 6, chapter 15. So on October 2nd, the wall was finished just 52 days after we had begun. When our enemies and the surrounding nations heard about it, they were frightened and humiliated, and they realized the work had been done with the help of our God. And so now we're coming to the other end of the story. They prayed at the beginning what to do. Nehemiah got organized. They got people working together. It was an amazing thing. We've been through all these steps, but now the work is done. Now what? Now you just chill out and say, okay, that's done. We're finished. No, not at all. Because Nehemiah knew that once the wall got done, well, there was a lot more to do. In fact, if you look at the book of Nehemiah, the first six chapters deal with rebuilding the wall. The last six, I mean, there's, there's chapters 1 through 6 deal with uh, the whole building of the wall. Chapters 7 through 13 deal with rebuilding the people. Because he built the wall so they could become the people of God. But if he didn't practice a certain number of things, they would slide right back in the ditch. And so here are five things. I want to go through them with you this morning. They'll help us maintain. I mean, we had our own 9-11 experience back in 2001. And there was a time when people turned to God right after that. And then after that, oh, well, back to business as usual. And Nehemiah knew that if we're not careful, we can slide right back into the old way of things and allow ourselves vulnerably attacked again. Well, these are things that help us focus on what's right and true and things you and I can do not just to be reactive when a crisis comes, but proactive in keeping the faith. First of all, Nehemiah gave God all the glory for his success. But another way, Nehemiah put God first, and he kept him first. When they dedicated the wall in Nehemiah chapter 12, here's what happened. The dedication of the, for the dedication of the new wall of Jerusalem, the Levites throughout the land were asked to come to Jerusalem to assist with the ceremonies. They were to take part in the joyous occasion with the songs of thanksgiving, the music of cymbals, harps, lyres. So did I together with a group of leaders here with me. 
Many sacrifices were offered on that joyous day, for God had given the people cause for great joy. The women and children also participated in the celebration, and the joy of the people of Jerusalem could be heard far away. If you and I, and this is a life application for you and me, if you and I want to make sure we stay away from the things that dragged us into a place of despair, well, then we need to keep God first. We must give God glory and praise him when he enables us to succeed. So if, if, we, reach a, if we finally get the job we've been praying for, we finally overcome the addiction we've been working on, we've, and we have victory over this, we finally are at a place where our bills are paid off, we've got our checkbook balanced, well, that's a time to give God glory, to stop right then and give thanks and give him glory. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name goes all the glory for your unfailing love and faithfulness. Deuteronomy 8, that's what Psalm 115 says. In Deuteronomy 8, Moses said, when the children of Israel are about to go in the promised land, when you've eaten your fill, be sure to praise the Lord your God for the good land he's given you. But that's the time to be careful. Beware that in your plenty you do not forget the Lord your God and disobey his commands, regulations, and decrees that I'm giving you today. Man, I wish we had a holiday once a year where we could take a day off and just give thanks to God. Oh, yeah, we do. It's coming up in a week and a half. What if we actually used it that way? What if we said, hey, God, you're the one who protects us. You're the one who gives us courage. You're the one who's going to have to strengthen our leaders. You're the one who's going to have to transform our enemies. And so we're praying about that. And God, we're going to give you thanks for all the things you've done for us already. And that way we're going to keep you front and center. Nehemiah and all the others did. They got all the priests and the Levites and everything. He said, me and my leaders, we were sitting in the front row. What about you? What about me? When God blesses us, do we give him the glory or just take it for ourselves? Like the guy you know, going through turbulence in the plane, he's praying, Lord, just give me down. I'll be in Sunday school every week, and Lord, I'll, I'll give money to the church. I'll do all this stuff. And then the plane lands. He goes, oh, sorry to bother you, God. Didn't need your help. It was fine. I mean, we can be that way. We pray for stuff, and then God answers our prayer, and we go, oh, yeah, I, I don't need it. I, it's okay. I, I figured it out on my own. No, we didn't. Nehemiah knew better. And if you and I are going to keep ourselves in a position where we don't allow evil to control us, if you and I are going to keep ourselves in a position where we're not vulnerable to the enemy's attacks, first thing we have to do is keep God front and center in our lives and give him the glory. It starts with, as soon as we have success, we give him glory and we give him all of our concerns as well. Secondly, Nehemiah put faithful people who feared God in positions of leadership. You could put it this way. If you're not in a position where you're pointing people, you could say he surrounded himself with faithful people. Same thing. He did. Hey, if I want to keep evil out, I put God first, and I surround myself with good and godly people. Now it came about when the wall was rebuilt. This is Nehemiah 7. And I had set up the doors and the gatekeepers and the singers and the Levites were appointed that I put Hananiah, my brother, and Hananiah, the commander of the fortress, in charge of Jerusalem. For he was a faithful man and feared God more than many. And if you underline faithful and feared God, didn't say he was better looking, didn't say he could sing better, didn't say he had a PhD, didn't say any of those things. Just says he was faithful and he feared God. You know what kind of friends you and I need in our lives to protect ourselves so we don't slide back in the ditch? Faithful and godly people. We've got to be careful about the friends we choose. Because you and I can work so hard on something and get something to a point where it's like, man, I'm finally um, getting things done on time. I'm finally overcoming this. I'm finally dealing with this. And then we let our guard down and surround ourselves with people who would love to drag us right back in the ditch. 
And that brings us to a life application here. We're looking for faithful people who fear God to be leaders at Centerpoint. We're looking for, I hope you're looking for faithful people to be in a connect group with at Centerpoint. But I'll tell you from our side of things, from my side of things, I'm always looking for people. Who are they? Well, Paul told Timothy, he said this, hey, those who want to be servants in the church must be serious, not deceitful. They're serious about their faith, that is. Not deceitful, not too free with the bottle, nor in, uh, nor in it for what they can get out of it. They must be reverent before the mystery of the faith, not using their position to try to run, run things. Let them prove themselves first. If they show they can do it, take them on. I mean, are they people who are just in it for the right motives? And when you and I see people who are faithful, good people, well, those are the people we need to surround ourselves with. And those are the people we want to step up to lead here in a connect group. And you wonder, where do you find connect group leaders? You don't have to have a PhD. You don't have to be uh, somebody who can run a mile in under four minutes. In that case, we wouldn't have any connect group leaders, okay? That's the way it would work. You don't have to be. What you have to be is somebody who's faithful and loves God. We'll notice that. And I hope you notice that. And you want to be around people like that. Because it's one thing to turn to God in a crisis. Well, this is, what if the crisis isn't here yet? Or what if the crisis is past? Well, I need to keep God first. I need to surround myself with good and godly people. That'll keep me from having to deal with those problems. Thirdly, Nehemiah didn't let the people of Jerusalem let down their guard. They worked hard building the wall. And here's the instruction he gave to Hananiah and Hananiah, those two guys he appointed. He said, don't let the gates of Jerusalem be open until the sun is hot. And while they're standing guard, let them shut and bolt the doors. In other words, hey, now that we finally got the wall done and we got the gates, the only way the enemy is going to come in easily is if they have a surprise attack at one of the gates. So we're not going to open the gates until the sun is high in the sky and we're sure that everybody's awake and everybody's at their position and everybody's already armed. I mean, he goes on to say, also appoint guards from the inhabitants of Jerusalem each at his post and each in front of his own house. So you wait till everybody's at their post. When everybody's at their post, then you open the gate. These guys threatened to kill us. They've been threatening to kill us. It's not like they're just going to give up without a fight. We got to stay on our guard. And at night, before you close the gates, you don't close the, I mean, you don't let anybody off duty till the gates are closed and locked. Then you dismiss people. And I need people in charge who are going to do that or going to keep on their guard. I mean, what a tragedy if they'd spent all this energy and all this work to rebuild the wall to protect themselves, and then they didn't guard the gates when it was over. It'd be like somebody who went on this amazing diet for a year and a half because their 40th class reunion was coming up, and they looked great. As soon as the class reunion's over, they go and gain it all back plus 10 pounds. I mean, that'd be terrible. And those things happen. We let our guard down. I talked to a friend recently. It was about his New Year's resolution. He was going to lose 20 pounds this year. I said, how's it going? He said, great. I only got 25 to go. Okay? You know, (laughs) went the wrong way. You and I know people, they'll spend a gazillion hours planning a wedding, but they didn't spend any time planning the marriage. Hey, the wedding's important. Don't get me wrong. But you're going to have to guard the gates once the ring is on because enemies will attack. And it's important. So here's a life application. We must let, let, not let down our guard. Put down your name in there. John must not let down his guard. Just make it fit for you. Hey, if we're going to work that hard to get this job, why would I get lazy about obeying the corporate rules and use of personal stuff or personal off days? And Why would I be fudging on expense reports and things? These things all matter. 
2 Peter 3.17, Peter said, I'm warning you ahead of time, dear friends, be on guard. I could have put a lot more scriptures about being on guard here. Listen to a few of them, though. I'm warning you ahead of time, dear friends, be on guard so you'll not be carried away by the errors of these wicked people and lose your own secure footing. We've got to be on guard against false teachers. People who tell us what we want to hear, tell people what they want to hear. Yeah, well, the Bible says that, but the Bible's wrong. Yeah, well, I know you probably shouldn't do it, but everybody else is doing it. That type of stuff. 1 John 5, 21. Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. Whew. There are all kinds of things that can consume us. Waste our lives. Waste our money. Waste our time. And then 1 Thessalonians 5, 2. Paul reminds people the same thing that Jesus reminded the disciples. For you know quite well the day of the Lord's return will come expectedly like a thief in the night when people are saying everything's peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall on them as suddenly as pregnant women's labor pains, and there will be no escape. But you aren't in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters. You won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief, for you are all children of the light and of the day, and we don't belong to the darkness of night. So be on your guard, not asleep like the others. Stay alert and be clear-headed. Every time the disciples talked about the second coming, and people ask me to talk about the second coming all the time, let me summarize what the big teaching about the second coming is all the time. Just be ready, and then you don't have to worry about it. Just be ready, and then you don't have to worry about it. How do you handle a pop quiz? Do the homework. If you and I are busy with what God wants, we're staying away from false teachers and things that distract us, then if Jesus comes tomorrow, let him come. I'm ready. And this is the way God wants us to live. It's the way Nehemiah lived. Hey, we spent all this time building the wall. We're not about to go open the gates while half the people are asleep, and then we get a surprise attack, and they come wipe us all out anyway. I mean, what a disaster that would be. I've given my life to the Lord. I've prayed to him. He's answered my prayers. He's given me a good church. He's given me good friends. Man, this is a time to shore that up. I'm not letting down my guard. And if Jesus comes tomorrow, then I don't want him to find me busy. So he'll say, well done, good job. So Nehemiah kept God first. He surrounded himself with good people. He didn't let down his guard. And fourthly, Nehemiah valued God's word. They got the wall built on October 2. Here's what they did six days later. All the people assembled with a unified purpose in the square just inside the water gate. They asked Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel to obey. So on October 8, Ezra the priest brought out the book of the law before the assembly, which included the men, the women, and all the children old enough to understand. From early morning until noon, that's a five-hour sermon, you're getting a break, okay? They read from the book of the law of God, and they clearly explained the meaning of what was being read, helping the people understand each passage. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest, and the scribe, the Levites who were interpreting the people, said to them, Don't mourn or weep on such a day as this, for today is a sacred day before the Lord your God. For the people had all been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. And Nehemiah continued, Don't be dejected and sad, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. They were weeping because they realized how far they were from what God had expected of them. And how much sin had happened to get them in that, play, in that position in the first place. He said, yeah, you can mourn for that later. And they did. And another chapter later, they actually did have a day of confession and, and mourning. But he said, not today. We're going to celebrate today. We're going to give God the glory. We're going to celebrate today. And we're going to praise him. And we're going to live according to his word. And they actually passed out a contract. And everybody said, we're going to obey God's word. 
Now look, if you and I want to keep ourselves from being in a place where we are vulnerable to attack, to the enemy's schemes, to the lies and deceptions and the things that control us, well then we get far away from God's word. And that's why we have to be on our guard against false teachers who tell us to devalue God's word. We need to value it, and that's the life application. You and I must value God's word. John must value God's word. You can put your name in that one again too. Listen to what Jeremiah said about the Bible. When I discovered your words, I devoured them. They are my joy and my heart's delight, for I bear your name, O Lord God of heaven's armies. Here's David, Psalm 119. I rise early before the sun is up. I cry out for help, and I put my hope in your words. Here's Moses, Deuteronomy 32. These instructions are not empty words. They are your life. I mean, what if we viewed the Bible that way? We can't wait to get up in the morning to read it, because without it, I got nothing. Do you know George Washington did that? Our first president did that when he got up an hour before the camp was to get up and move. If the camp was to wake up at five, then he got up at four and had an hour of Bible reading. He was asked one time, how do you have time to do that? He said, I don't have time not to. I need God's direction. He would agree with Moses. These aren't empty words. These instructions are my life. I devour them. I want to know what's right. I don't want to let down my guard. I don't want to be distracted. I don't want to be dragged off into things that I was never supposed to be involved in. I want to be able to know God so well that it's easy for me to come to him and pray about leaders and about enemies for courage and protection. I want to own this. That was Nehemiah. And he prayed when the crisis was there, and he kept God's word in front of him when the crisis was over. He kept the faith. Finally, point five, Nehemiah dealt with sin immediately. And you can even put backsliding in there. Some of you came from a Baptist background. You know what that is. That's saying you're going to do it and you didn't daggum do it. Slid back in the old way, old habit of doing things. Well, that'd be pretty close here. He, knelt, he dealt with backsliding sin immediately. Nehemiah had ended up being the governor there for a number of years. But eventually he returned back to Babylon and while he was gone, some of the people he had appointed kind of allowed some old habits to creep back in. One of them was that even though they had, after they had rebuilt the wall, they all had the day of rejoicing, they all signed a contract, and they all said, yeah, we're going we're gonna to honor God and put him first and obey his commandments. Well, one of the commandments, the Ten Commandments, there was to honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And they weren't doing that. They were buying. And so he comes back to Jerusalem after he's been gone for a while comes back and he finds all the merchants in town on the Sabbath day buying and selling, which was strictly forbidden. And here's what happened. So I confronted the nobles of Judah, the people he'd left in charge while he was gone. Why are you profaning the Sabbath in this evil way? I asked, wasn't it just this sort of thing your ancestors did that caused God to bring all this trouble upon us in our city? Now you're bringing even more wrath upon Israel by permitting the Sabbath to be desecrated in this way. And then I commanded the gates of Jerusalem should be shut as darkness fell every Friday evening and not to be opened until the Sabbath ended. I sent some of my own servants to guard the gates so that no merchandise would be brought in on the Sabbath day. The merchants and the tradesmen with a variety of wares camped outside Jerusalem once or twice, but I spoke harshly to them and I said, what are you doing out here camping around the wall? If you do this again, I'll arrest you. And that was the last time they came on the Sabbath. Well, I'll bet so. But you know what he's doing there? He said, look, we all agreed that God was the one who enabled us to rebuild the wall. We all agreed that God brought us back so we, he would be our God and we would be his people. We all agreed to the terms of the covenant that our ancestors had violated because they didn't care about the Sabbath at all. 
And now you guys are doing the same thing. Not on my watch, you're not. He sent his own people down there. You make sure those gates are locked. He went and talked to people. You get your pots and pans out of here or I'll arrest you. They didn't come back. Now, what if you and I were serious about sin like that? We'd made a commitment to the Lord that we're going to read his word. We'd made a commitment to the Lord that we're going to keep our eyes pure. I know guys that get addicted to pornography on their phones. And they come and see me. What do I do? And I go, well, step number one is you're going to get rid of this phone with internet access. You can go back to a flip phone that just makes phone calls. No pictures. And they go, I don't know if I can do that. Well, you're going to have to do that. It's time to make a hard decision. Time to make a hard break. This has got to control, you, control of you. You're going to have to get rid of it. Confront it head on. Confront it immediately. Do it today. And after you do it, you come back and talk to me. Go do it now. Right now. Right now. Well, John, don't you think you're taking a hard line on that? I don't know. Listen to Jesus. If your right eye caused you to sin, gouge it out. This is the life application that we must deal with sin immediately. If your right eye caused you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand caused you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. And I'm just making a modern adaptation of that. It's better for you to use a flip phone than to have the best DSL service in hell. It is. Get rid of it. You're in a wrong relationship. It's a sexually immoral relationship. Break it off. Today. Now. I mean, remember, one of the things was to be alert. Jesus is coming back. Well, do you want, to find, do you want him to find you in that relationship when he returns? There are enemies. There is an enemy. There is a devil who is out to destroy us. We pray for protection against him. We pray for courage. We can pray for our leaders. This is our part. Remember, Nehemiah is about, what's my part? My part is to stay alert. My part is to guard the gate. My part is to get rid of sin when I find it. That's your part too. Yeah, we pray. And then we do our part too. Let's strip off every weight that it slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Let's run with endurance the race that God has set before us. That's what it's talking about. This is our race. And we're going to do it together. We're going to keep God first here. And let's surround ourselves with godly people who run in the race with us. Welcome to church. This is what it means to keep the faith. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I thank you for the opportunity we have today to celebrate your goodness and your power and to bring all our requests to you. And God, I just thank you that we have the opportunity to learn from Nehemiah. I thank you for what a wonderful example he is. Lord, he prayed and he set a guard. He prayed and he built the wall. He prayed and he appointed godly people. He prayed and he dealt with sin when it came up immediately. And God, I want to be like Nehemiah. The real deal, faith in action, nothing phony. If the Lord spoke to you about anything today, maybe about guarding the gates, maybe about backsliding, maybe about putting God's word first, you've gotten lazy with all that. Pray to him now and say, God, I needed to hear this today. And God, I pray that you will move me in the right direction. I don't want to be a part-time Christian. I want to be a full-time believer.
Lord, I thank you for Nehemiah. Thank you that he was faithful. Let us follow in the footsteps of Christ. Let us learn from the example of Nehemiah. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.